0: standing by the terry and ted podcast is sponsored by the ups store canada well here we are we think for another episode of standing by the uh, podcast with terry and ted i'm the terry that's the ted i am the ted Ted. you are the ted i uh, am yeah uh,
1: I am Terry DeMonte,
0: and uh, this is uh, Ted Bird.
1: No, no, no. I'm just going by The Ted from now on.
0: Okay. It's now, okay. (laughs) Is that going to be your new rap name? The Ted? The Ted,
1: yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I figured Lil Ted was, you know, that's too predictable. So I'm going to go with The Ted. The Ted. I I also toyed with Dr. Ted. Yeah. You know, Snoop Ted. Big Ted? Big Ted, yeah.
0: Okay. Anyway, uh, here we are, and uh, in case uh, you don't know, Ted and I have been hanging around together for uh, for some 30 years now, and uh, once we hung around on, on the uh, radio, but actually, uh, we still hang around on the radio every Saturday, I just remembered
1: that. We do, Denver. yeah, on Light 106.7 every Saturday morning from 9 to noon. As a matter of fact here, it's closer to 35 years now. Is it really? Yeah, 1988 was when we did our first show together on show, <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. So it'll be thirty-five years next year, and next wow. year's right around the corner.
0: Yeah, I know. It's uh, they're already talking. Like I, my, I've told you this before. My wife has turned me into a, a soccer fan, a football fan, as they call it. Right. And uh, the uh, the January transfer window is just weeks away. No. How exciting!
1: <laughs> and what pray tell is the January transfer window? Is that kind of like the trade deadline in hockey?
0: Soccer, exactly. Soccer fans that are listening to the podcast are going to be yelling, I know, uh, because I'm not sure exactly what it is, but it's, uh, that's the period of time where you can go out and acquire players you need. So if you need another striker, you can go shopping for one and get one. And uh, and add players, and you know people can transfer from team to team. And then there's only a certain amount of time that you're allowed to do that in.
1: Yeah, but they must have to strike some kind of a deal with the team. You can't just oh. you can't just pickpocket another team, can you? No, no, no,
0: no. You you have to pay hundreds of millions of dollars. Some of these some of these players are bought for 150 million pounds. Jesus Murphy, can you imagine? It's uh, it's absolute madness. And anyway, who's, who's speaking...
1: your side? Who's my side? Your favorite side.
0: Oh, my favorite side, Abel. Uh, in this house, it has to be Manu Manchester United. It does, eh? Is the longtime favorite uh, club of uh, of Mrs. DeMonte and okay. boy, does she live and die with that club. <laughs> oh boy, when they're not doing well, things are not good on here on a Saturday or Sunday.
1: Well, they normally do quite well, don't they? Aren't they like the Montreal Canadiens of uh, of Premier League they soccer? Are.
0: Yeah, they are, but they've really been struggling these last couple of years and it hasn't been a lot of fun. And as we record this, the World Cup is about to start. So that's a whole other uh pile of kippers.
1: <laughs> are you <laughs> It's quite a pile of kippers you got there. That stinks. Uh are you a uh, are you a, a Qatar guy or a cutter guy?
0: I go with Qatar. As I do I. Popular, isn't it? Yeah, I I don't know when when somebody says cutter, I think, hey, nice cutter. (laughs) (laughs) Which is really
1: it's really crass and kind of gross. I think Moyle. (laughs) 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 Which if you don't know is the guy who performs the circumcision in the Jewish religious ceremony for the newborn baby boys.
0: That's right. So uh, this podcast episode is uh, supported by a number of people and our um, our uh, what do we call this our um, our main our our main sponsor our title what? sponsor. Thank you, our title sponsor. Thank you, Ted.
1: Is the UPS Store Canada? Okay. I wasn't sure if you were going to talk. <laughs> no, I was just helping you out with the uh, now. Uh, what do you call the guys, the ones who uh, the ones who give us the most money? What are they? <laughs> uh, they're the title sponsor.
0: That's right. Yeah. Standing by, uh, podcast is brought to you by the UPS Store Canada. The UPS Store Canada is uh, quite a spot. Uh, first of all, there are three hundred and sixty of them from coast to coast to coast in Canada, and a lot of people think they're just a place to ship things, and they're much more than that. As a matter of fact, if you run a small business, it's probable that you know where your local UPS store is, because inside that store, they can solve most of the problems that you have when it comes to shipping, when it comes to documents, when it comes to packing, Uh, when it comes to uh, uh, faxing things, shredding things, uh, making sure fragile things are properly packed. You can get boxes if you want to ship your own stuff and take them home. You can get packing tape and labels. Any problem that you may have in terms of running a small business, it can be solved at the UPS Store Canada And it could be anything. It's, uh, you know, uh, if you're running a small business and manufacturing things, you know, you make sweaters in your basement, you need to get them shipped. Uh, They can tell you how to do that fast and economically. If you've got to get something to the kids who've moved away uh, for university, they can take care of that. If you've got Christmas cookies you want to send to your brother or sister on the other coast, they can take care of that. The UPS Store Canada. Uh, they will uh, take care of all your problems. And as I always mention, uh, they're entrepreneurs too because they're franchise owners that live in your community and know exactly what you're going through as a small business owner. Start online, the upsstorecanada.ca. And who? our thanks to David <laughs> Drucker uh, for uh, his support. So we're uh, wandering uh, hither and yon, as you like to say, eh, Ted?
1: I was going to ask you, who makes sweaters in their basement? <laughs>
0: I don't know. I don't know. Bring down another it. sheep. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? There are a lot of there are a lot of people doing doing shit in their homes. Yeah, I
1: know. I know.
0: And, you know, if you go on, have you ever been on Etsy? Etsy?
1: No, I I'm familiar with the website. I, I know yeah, of it. I'm not familiar with it, yeah. but I know of it.
0: Yeah, if you're looking for you know like a wacky t-shirt that says you know t-shirts that say go fuck yourself or something. <laughs> you know, you, you, there, That's there, wacky. Are people- there are, there are people making these kinds of products and, and, uh, and, and make you taking care of, you know, doing it in their garage or their basements. And then they got to ship those things out across the country.
1: I think you need to get a t-shirt with, uh, the, uh, the new, uh, or soon to be name of British Columbia.
0: Oh Christ. Don't me, come on. Don't get me started.
1: <laughs> Honest to God. Of course, I'm going to get you started. <laughs> Terry sent me a note the other day and said they, he says they want to rename BC and I don't even, were there any vowels in the name or was it all consonants? Uh, <laughs> or was it all vowels, no consonants?
0: Well, I. you know what? I, I don't know if they've actually chosen one. Some people are suggesting uh, that uh, we rename the pra- uh, the province Haida Gwaii okay. uh, because the Queen Charlotte Islands uh, were renamed Gwaii, because they were indigenous territories right okay. um, and uh, and a lot of people not a lot of people there's a few people there's a small minority of people um, as you know that that think that we I don't know have to give the land back or whatever it is um, uh, but they think that the the province uh, being named British Columbia is too colonial, um, and uh, and it, it needs to have an indigenous di- indigenous name, and some people are suggesting uh, that it could be changed to Haida Gwaii, so it wouldn't be just the Haida Gwaii Islands; it would be uh, the province of Haida Gwaii.
1: Okay, and so, is this in official channels, or is this no. just activists who no. are uh, who are lobbying for this?
0: That's exactly what it is. Some Fakakta, um organization put out a poll and asked people uh, if they thought the province should be renamed. And uh, I don't know who uh, sponsored the poll, who commissioned the poll, um, but uh, the poll suggested that uh, most people, I don't have it in front of me because I don't give a shit about it, (laughs) uh, but most people under 30, I think it was, suggested that the name of the province should be changed, that the uh, name of the province was embarrassing and it was too colonial and it referred to Britain, which was you know old school and i just think of you know the the pictures in your mind when i say british columbia to a canadian the 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 picture in your mind is a spectacular landscape of mountains and ski resorts and you know flowing rivers and blueberry fields and all of the rest of it that comes with you know, what your brain conjures up when you think of British Columbia, and I'm not sure why we would want to change that.
1: So this is not happening at the behest of indigenous peoples necessarily. This no. is the, the usual suspects uh, in uh, in the academic class probably yeah. and, and the students who they hold sway over.
0: Yeah, and uh, you and I have talked about this, uh, uh, you know, not on the podcast Um, but yeah, it's, as you like to point out, Ted, it's a very, very vocal minority of uh, people. And the poll, the poll bears that out, that it's a, a, a minority of people that would like to see the name changed and they think it should be changed so that, you know, that could be part of, uh, reconciliation. And, and before you track me down, um, to say that I'm, I'm, uh, you know, that I, I'm not interested in reconciliation and, and addressing some of the, you know, the things that went on in the past with uh, Indigenous folks, um, that's not it at all. But I also, I'm, I'm very proud of the country. I'm proud of where we were born and raised. I'm proud of the generations that came before us and did all the work to bring us where we are. And I know a lot of people don't like to talk about uh, progress, but if you, you know, if you look at the country from, you know, say 1950 and you look at the country today, I think it would be pretty hard to argue that there hasn't been progress made in this country on all fronts.
1: When you look at the Queen Charlotte Islands on a map, are they no longer the Queen Charlotte Islands?
0: No, they're not. They're they're. It's now called Haida Gwaii.
1: Okay. And where are the Queen Charlotte Islands? Are they between Vancouver and Vancouver Island?
0: Yeah, they're off the coast of uh, off the coast of uh, Vancouver mainland. Okay. And uh, and and you know, rightfully so. They it's mostly in indigenous people up in that area, and and uh, I don't think anybody argued with that name change, but to wholesale change the the province name, I think is another kettle of fish, is it not?
1: Well, definitely. And, it's, uh, and it opens a Pandora's box as well, I think. Yeah.
0: Yeah, um, I think so too.
1: But yeah. I mean, I come back to what you said about, you know, they, they show the, the surveys and it's a small vocal minority who are campaigning for that. And I would guess that at some point, some other cause is going to catch their attention sure. because people who campaign for stuff like that are usually the types they're the, what's the issue of the day? Mm-hmm. and then they'll change their twitter profile picture to you know whether it's a ukrainian flag or uh, or a syringe yeah. you know or or whatever whatever the hot topic of the day is right. and they want to get in on the right uh, on the right side of virtue signaling so something else will come along that will uh, distract them from mahidegui uh, and uh, british columbia will i would imagine in f- for the duration of our lifetimes remain british columbia
0: I would imagine too. I don't know what's going to happen after we're gone, but I, I've always asked this question and I'd like to sit and ask the question of people. I, I'm trying to figure out what it is they're trying to accomplish. And, and, uh, you know, as is often the case, and you know this Ted, because you spend a lot of time in an indigenous community out in Ganawagi. Um, I, I, I don't know if, if you know, anybody has asked Indigenous folks if they want us to change the name of the province.
1: No, and I, yeah, it's just they take up on their own. Exactly, yeah. And I think that the you know, I, I think the the uh, answer to why they do it is so that they can feel good about themselves. It's all about them. It's not yeah. about it's not about uh, any kind of redress for uh, for Indigenous cultures. It's all about look at me, look how virtuous I am. Right. Uh, yeah. That's to me. That's what. That's what it's all about. And yeah. maybe in their heart of hearts, they feel like they're doing the right thing. But, but I, their motivation to me has always been, has always been highly suspect. I was in Ganawage on Remembrance Day this year.
0: Mm-hmm. You uh, often are, are. You not?
1: Well, I've gone in the past. I've gone to their Remembrance ceremony, which is usually held a week or two before Remembrance Day, and it's very powerful, and it incorporates all aspects of uh, aspects of uh, uh, all military branches from two different countries, Canada and the U.S., because uh, a lot of the veterans in Ganawage, most of the veterans actually, uh, served in the United States military. And I would say of them, most are probably uh, U.S. Marine Corps uh, alumni. Uh, but there are some also who served in the Canadian military. Ray Deer, who's uh, the main organizer for Mohawk Legion Branch 219 in Ganawage, and, uh, and, and is responsible or takes on the responsibility of bringing it all together. He served in both the Canadian and American militaries, I believe. And uh, so it's really interesting what they do. And on, on Remembrance Day itself and in the Remembrance Ceremony uh, a week or two beforehand, they play, they have a bugler who plays the last post, which is the British lament for the fallen. Right. Uh, and then he plays taps which is the US lament for the fallen. And then a bagpiper plays Flowers of the Forest, which is another, uh, I believe, British Commonwealth standard tribute to uh, the war dead. And then they have uh, a native uh, musician and or a singer. And at the, at the main ceremony that, that uh, comes before Remembrance Day, they have drummers and singers, and it's really, really powerful. And uh, at the uh, at the event that I was at on Remembrance Day, Frankie Horn was a single drummer and uh, and singer. And I asked uh, I asked Poseidon uh, if he could uh, if he could isolate a clip and play a little bit of it. It won't have the same impact that it has if you're standing there and, and you're watching this in person in real time. But just to give you an idea, this is uh, this is Frankie Horn at the cenotaph on Remembrance Day in Ganawage.
0: Oh, also, well, it's uh, up
1: there on the screen and everything. Yeah, Terry won't be able to hear this. Come oh, Terry won't be able to yeah. hear it. Oh, sorry, Terry. I thought you were That's going to be sorry. able to hear this. Uh, so, no, play- but it's just for the for everyone listening. Yeah, for everyone listening yeah. and watching. Yeah. Uh, if you're watching, uh, it's up on the screen there now. And
0: uh, there's uh, there's I'm, the,
1: a, I'm gonna let the backpipes play. I think it's right at the end. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Piper, yeah. Piper just finished, and here comes Frankie yeah. now. <clears throat> So I sent Frankie a note a couple of days later, and I said, uh, "Pause. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Or you can just let it play underneath." And I said, "Frankie, when you do the drumming and chanting like you did at the ceremony, are you saying anything specific, or is is the chant just a non linguistic expression of spirituality?" And he said, uh, "Some songs have vocals that have no meaning, and there's also word songs that have significance." And I said. Did the one on Friday have specific meaning or significance? And he said, the song on Friday has specific meaning, but I can't remember the full meaning. Something about honoring the veterans. So anyway, it was, uh, it's It's a really, if you live in the Montreal area, uh, I would strongly, strongly suggest, and Remembrance Day is important to you, I would strongly suggest going over to Ganawage sometime, and uh, and seeing either the remembrance day ceremony or the ceremony that uh, that leads up to remembrance day it's it's a um, it's a ceremony like no other you will see uh, or experience on remembrance day i also found this remembrance day tear i didn't see very many people wearing poppies
0: well i i uh, you and i have talked about this every year since we've been on the radio and off the radio and even You know, when we're just talking amongst ourselves, we've talked about this, how important it is and how there's a lot of of veterans who, you know, a lot of veterans can't do it anymore. A lot of them are gone, of course, and uh, there's that particular uh, problem in Quebec where every year there seems to be a, uh, a veteran or an organization who's turned away from a shopping center, a grocery store, a Walmart or something. Uh, where they've been uh, denied access to sell the poppies. And the other thing that i I mentioned uh, to you on the radio program a couple of weeks ago is I'm not a fan of these permanent poppies that are being manufactured. I saw some of them on some of the sports coverage where uh, announcers had, uh, you know they look like jewelry, they're poppies, but they're you know they're they're made of metal or or some kind of I don't know what. they're meant to be permanent. And uh, I really discourage people from buying those things because I know it's the same thing every year. You buy a poppy and it falls off. You know, you put your five bucks in the jar or your loony in the jar, whatever it is. You buy a poppy, you get home and you go, cripes, where's my poppy? To me, that's an opportunity to meet another veteran, shake another hand and buy another poppy. And if you buy one that's permanent, that all goes away. And then what happens to the fundraising that those veterans are trying to accomplish uh, with the sale of the poppy, and and I just uh, I just I don't I don't know. You can't make it mandatory, but in some ways, I wish I wish everybody had to wear a poppy for you know the week leading up to Remembrance Day.
1: I actually got a note on that, Terry, from Kathy Conway, who said uh, just a comment about the poppies. Terry was concerned that the decorative poppies would take away from the sale of the Legion poppies. I don't think that's the case. I've sat and sold poppies a few times. Many people, even wearing poppies, donate again. And now, with the new tap credit card boxes, many people tapped and said, I don't need a poppy.
0: Well, that's nice to hear. i i um I disagree with her. I think a lot of people would use it as an excuse not to buy a poppy, but it's nice to hear anecdotal evidence that uh, that that maybe that isn't true, that people who are wearing permanent poppies, are still putting money in the jar, and that's a good thing, I suppose. But I still like the idea of that plastic pin on poppy that always ends up on the car mat.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I went through three of them this year, yeah. and I actually I found a, a permanent one. Uh, I don't know where I got it, but I was going through my junk drawer the other day, and there was one in there. Um, oh. Now, by a permanent one, do you mean it has, like it's got a, uh, instead of the needle pin, it's got like a one of those little two-piece sort of... Uh, I don't know if it's not a stick pin. it just uh, but it pins it pins uh, securely onto your lapel. Bobby pin? Um, no, no. it's got it's got like a, a little the the the, uh, the black part on the okay. front of the poppy has right. a short little needle type thing and then you have a little latch on the other side that and they yeah. click together and then so you don't lose the poppy.
0: well, I, I don't I don't know if that's the mechanism for attaching it to your lapel. What I'm talking about is poppies that look like brooches. You know what I mean? They oh look like, yeah, like, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. Like a
0: woman's brooch. Yeah, yeah. That you would buy, I don't know where online at a department store or whatever, and you use that as like a permanent thing that stays in your door that you bring out every every remembrance day.
1: Yeah. Well, that's all well and good, but you should still put some money in the uh, in the box when you walk by the poppy stand.
0: Listen while we're talking. I want to. um, I. I I just. I'm not that you need to, but I would like you to explain your connection to the folks in Ganawagi and your respect for Indigenous peoples and their culture. And I would like you to tell the story of uh, the uh, the resident of Ganawagi and his his son. Uh, walking by your table in the restaurant, I think that's a powerful story. Yeah,
1: but I'll cry if I tell that story.
0: That's okay. I will get you some <laughs> Kleenex. That that to me that that you know because before people say we got no business talking about indigenous issues, I would like to point out that that you have a connection with an indigenous community.
1: I worked at K one hundred and three radio in Ganawage, and Ganawage, if you don't know, is a Mohawk community on the south shore of Montreal. And uh, for the two years that I worked there, I co-hosted the morning show. <clears throat> pardon me, with uh, Java Jacobs and um, Lance Delil. And Paul Grafe, so they were, he was the, uh, Paul was the Schmohawk. <laughs> he was the Jewish guy from Hampstead. <laughs> you had me, the white Protestant guy, the Schmohawk, and then the two Mohawks on the radio show. Uh, but anyway, uh, I went over there and they, uh, most of the folks in town knew who I was because they listened to me when I was on showm with you. And uh, they were very welcoming. There were a very, very small handful who were like, fuck you. What are you doing over here? Uh, they wanted no part of me at all. But, um, but for the most part, people were extremely welcoming uh, to the point where about a year and a half into my two-year run, I was walking into the, uh, into the local coffee shop one day and a, gentleman, a local gentleman and his teenage son were walking out and we uh, exchanged hellos as we went by. And after I passed him, I heard him say to his son, that's Ted Bird. He's part of our community now. And if you know the Mohawk community, yeah. um, that's, uh, that's a pretty tough nut to crack, boy. They, uh, they close ranks. Uh, the, you know, they're a very uh, a closely guarded – they're a very guarded community and mm-hmm. with good reason, yep. you know, with good reason if you, if you know history. So for someone to say of me, he's part of our community now, you know, it said two things. It said that uh, I must be doing something right. And uh, and it also said that they're open and gracious people, and the, and I was being judged not on the color of my skin. I was being judged on on uh, whether and to what extent I contributed to the community. And this guy obviously felt that I was making a contribution.
0: That must have made you very proud, and that is high praise indeed.
1: When somebody says to me, "What's the uh, what's the highlight of your career in radio in forty four years?" That's it.
0: Well, That's
1: the story I tell.
0: That's the story you tell. Yeah. Oh.
1: Hey, I didn't cry. <laughs> <laughs> Probably because I've told it so many times now. <laughs> and he's like, "Yeah, and that's Ted Birdie's part of our community." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I, th- I thought maybe you'd mentioned working with me as uh, <laughs> well. That was a highlight too. That was good. <laughs> I enjoyed working. Still do, as a matter of fact. That's right. But I'm that already. was. But you know what? That was the most memorable moment. Yes, to yeah. me. And it didn't. It it was not directly related to radio. It didn't happen when I was on the radio. No. But it was a result of the work that I did. No. On I the radio.
0: I just want to point out because. You know, when you speak out on certain issues, people say, you know, you've got no business yeah, talking yeah, about well, those issues. Yeah. And, uh, and I just, I know your experience and, and, uh, you do, you, you have a, you have a connection to that community. You yep. were welcomed into that community.
1: So now when I go over, they say, I thought we got rid of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you again. <laughs> No, it was nice to be over there on uh, on Remembrance Day, and I renewed yeah, and, I and renewed and some I old acquaintances. To say,
0: even though I couldn't hear the the drumming, I saw yeah. the video, and it's pretty powerful.
1: Yeah, it was uh, it was something else. And oh, yeah. <laughs> Frankie, hey, what's that mean, Frankie? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> something important, though. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, he did a nice job, he, and yeah. and it's it, just it's so cool to see. You know the, the the marriage of the cultures and the military branches right. and the you know you want to talk about diversity and inclusion. Right. It doesn't get much more diverse and inclusive than a Remembrance Day ceremony in Ganawage. Yeah,
0: we we talked about a little bit a, a little bit about this on on uh, I think one of the podcasts I, I think the last one the uh, one before I don't know in my maybe we haven't talked about this but um, I've. Uh, w- when you talk about diversity and inclusion, you know, they you would, you would get accused of uh, not being attuned to diversity and inclusion, uh, I think, based on some of the things that you say. But I've known you for a very long time, and you actually are very attuned to that. And that leads me to my question that I've, I've, I said I wanted to talk to you about, the things that you can't say because you're shouted down now where did the, where did we get to to the point where you can't make a simple commentary about something without being shouted down all social media related
1: well i think social media's got a lot to do with it i think the academia has a lot to do with it i think that uh, i think a lot of the uh, the so-called woke uh, movement was uh, was founded in, in academia. And the irony of that, of course, being that you know universities are supposed to be places where you're where you go to express ideas and exchange ideas. And now it's uh, if it ain't the right idea, then quiet you. But mm. then it gets amplified on social media. And I also think that for a lot of people on social media, uh, uh, canceling people, uh, as it were, has become a sport. Right, like people get on there and they look for uh, for people who oh shit, let's get him fired. Look what he said. Yeah, you know, and that's happened to me. I've had I've had people write letters to my uh, to my boss because they didn't like something that I said on social media, right. and then I get a note from uh, I get a note from head office. You know what happened here. Watch your step. Right. Yeah. And it's just it's yeah. the it's it's the way of the world now, and I'm hoping. And, you know, it's another thing that I don't know if we're going to see it in our lifetime, but I'm hoping the pendulum will swing back. Yeah, I know what it was. I
0: was was saying, you know, my (laughs) wife and I were watching uh, a hockey game and they talked about the fact that, pardon me, that TVA uh, would be uh, carrying the Women's Professional Hockey League. And and I said, um, you know, I'm not interested in watching that. My wife said, don't say that in public.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So you didn't put that out on social media, eh?
0: No, I didn't I yeah. didn't. Yeah, but, because know, that, that's that's
1: exactly the sort of thing you'd get crucified for.
0: I didn't I didn't like I, I love the fact that there's going to be a professional hockey league for women. I love the fact that women will have an opportunity to play hockey for a living, just like men do. I love the fact that there will be an example for daughters. You you have two of them, Ted, mm-hmm. so you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> It'll be nice that there's an example. Uh, for women to cheer on and look up to, but as a hockey fan, as a massive hockey fan, I just find women's hockey a little bit slow. Yep i co- I coached ringette when when I was in my teens, um, and as when I was in my thirties, I coached a women's hockey club in Westmount. I I just I loved encouraging it, but uh, and when I was coaching it, I I didn't mind watching it, but I I just don't think I would watch. You know, I've, it's the professional hockey just isn't it's not fast fast enough for me.
1: Yeah, I agree with you, and that's <clears throat> that's an honest opinion, and it's yeah, well expressed. Probably. But if you'd said that on the radio, I mean, you can say yes. it on the podcast because what I suppose people could write a letter to our sponsors and say yeah. Terry DeMonte is a misogynist. Um, but if you had said that on the radio, the only thing people would have the, the the people who were looking for something to be offended by mm-hmm. the only thing they would have heard was I don't want to watch women's hockey. That's right. the only thing they would have heard. They wouldn't have heard all the rest of it about how you support them playing hockey and you coached women's hockey. They wouldn't have heard any of that. They just would have heard, I don't want to watch women's hockey. And the letter would have gone out to uh, to head office. Uh, Your morning man is uh, is denigrating women's hockey on the radio. Yeah. And
0: I don't think that's good for society. Do you?
1: No. That we, no, but, can't,
0: we can't have honest conversations about
1: things? Well, I mean, you can. You just have to you you just, you know, you got to you got to be ready for the blowback now. It's it, it yeah. seems. And and the but, unfortunate thing is a lot of companies and employers uh have uh, have zero tolerance now. As soon as they hear blowback, they don't want to know your side of the story. It's I, like I, it's I, like straighten up or you're gone.
0: I I saw a thing. I watched a thing on it was either CBS Sunday morning or I forget which show I, I was watching because I'm I'm really engaged in politics. And it was a, a story about colleges and universities down in the United States. And uh, it was a story about um, uh, a professor being removed because the students complained that he was making, uh, his class was too hard. It was too hard. And they interviewed another professor and asked him about, you know, whether or not the his fellow academics would would speak up and support him. And uh, the professor said, "No, I I just keep my mouth shut now. I I don't offer a contrarian opinion uh, because it's too dangerous. And if I want to keep my job, I have to keep my mouth shut." And that that chilled me because I thought, "This is a." This is a man who's responsible for educating gonna a say, new generation of people who are going to move
1: in. When an educator is saying something like that, that's a bad sign. Yeah.
0: yeah. I th- I think so. And I, and I mm-hmm. that's what the conversation that I had ended up having with Jess, my wife, saying, you know, I, I you know, why can't I say that publicly? And she said, "Well, you can if you want to deal with the shitstorm." And I I just I don't know. I just don't think that's very healthy for for a society or, you know, a, a group of people can't get together and talk to each other anymore. It's really sad to watch.
1: Well, it's where we're at right now. And like I say, I believe it'll evolve. I just don't know how fast the the evolution will be.
0: Right. Yeah. Because I, I don't know if you've seen the, the latest as we recorded this, uh, the date that we're recording this, yesterday here in Vancouver, uh, they've caught the uh, throw shit on paintings uh, thing. Uh-oh. Uh, so uh, they, they're Emily Carr, who is a very famous Canadian artist, um, one of the country's great artists, and, you know, she—she, she, her paintings and her influence in the art world are everywhere, especially on the West Coast. And, uh, you know, she's one of those artists that uh, if, if you see a painting of hers hanging in a home, it's worth millions of dollars. And in the uh, gallery... Uh, yesterday, it was attacked by uh, two of the Stop Oil people okay. who smudged, um, smudged uh, maple syrup on it. So they're get, trying to give it a bit of a, a Canadian spin and then glued their hands to the painting and the wall. And uh, I, uh, I, I don't understand the tactic. I shouldn't even be talking about it. Um, and I don't understand the, uh, uh, the issue. I, I, I don't understand how two people think doing that is going to stop uh, fossil fuels from being manufactured while we make our transition to new energy.
1: Well, it's not, but it's going to get them the attention that they're seeking. Mm. And I think that that's what that's all about uh, as much as anything else. Right. Should we say hello to a sponsor? Okay. I'd like to speak about Merson Automotive. Please do. You know, speaking of uh, of alternative uh, fuels, there's is it ethanol that uses corn?
0: Yes, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Dr. Monte,
1: as a, as as a uh, it's a biofuel, right?
0: I think so. Something I like
1: that. I had suggested to uh, to Merson Automotive some years ago corn tires, <laughs> because I thought that the niblets would give you very good grip <laughs> in the snow and. Uh, they laughed me out of the shop. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, if you go to Merson, don't even don't even bring up the corn tires. Okay, don't <laughs> ask them about corn tires. Ask them about Yokohama Ice Guard tires. Yokohama Ice Guard is the Yokohama uh, winter tire. The IG53 for cars, GO75 for SUVs and vans. Uh, just designed and and built for maximum winter performance and efficiency, uh, longer durability, designed to ride quietly for comfort. Just You you ride on Yokohamas, eh, Ter, in the wintertime? I
0: do, yeah, and absolutely love them.
1: And uh, if that doesn't strike your fancy, why not ask them about Nokian Hakapolitas, the Hakapolita 10 and the R 5 made in Finland, don't you know? Uh, I think they know a thing or two about winter driving over in Finland. I think it gets a tad nippy in Finland in the wintertime. <laughs> yeah, I've told you about their, uh, their, their, their test center, eh? their test track over there. Their, their test oh. track. It's a massive facility in the north of Finland. And Celso from Mersin has gone there. It's called White Hell. <laughs> and that's where they test Nokian tires. So they're being tested under uh, the most extreme winter conditions. And the R5 in particular is an innovative combination of pure winter grip silence and eco-friendliness developed with electric vehicles in mind. So uh, if you're running your, uh, your your corn-fueled car on corn tires, why would you not run your electric uh, car on the uh, Nokia and Hacapolita R5? That might have been the worst commercial I've ever done for Mercy. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: was going to say, please go see our friends at the Merson, and please don't tell them about Ted's corn tire idea. Yeah,
1: yeah. They'll, say, they'll
0: say, how did you hear about that?
1: <laughs> Has he started drinking again? <laughs> Merson Automotive, they're on St. Jacques just west of Cavendish, right down the street from the old Bon Voyage Tavern. Was it the Bon Voyage?
0: I don't remember. Yeah, I across from
1: Picasso? I think so, yeah. yeah. I went in there one time. This is like... This is 35 years ago. After we played touch football one day you know, at Trenholm Park, just up the street in NDG, so we went down to the Bon Voyage. I think it was called the Bon Voyage for a couple of beers after, and I bought a round. And and again, a long time ago, so I don't know how many beers, but it was six dollars and thirty five cents for like a round, right? Oh no, it was six sixty five, and I gave the guy seven bucks. And in my head, I did the math wrong. I thought I was giving him a decent tip. And I said to him, keep the change. And he looked at me and he goes, God bless you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm pretty sure that it was my future wife's (laughs) uncle. And I hadn't, work? yeah, I hadn't even met Danielle yet, but I found out subsequently that her uncle Gary, God rest his soul, worked there. And when I met Gary, I looked at him and I said, I'm pretty sure that's the guy I gave the shitty tip to. And he told me, God bless you, sir. I,
0: you're lucky he didn't say, I met you before you cheap fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. You know, it's, it reminds me of a story, um, or stories that we all, uh, uh, are familiar with if we grew up in Montreal. Pardon me. We um when we were uh 16, you could get into the Pierre tavern, not far from where I lived. And uh, the drinking age, of course, was is was and still is 18. And uh, you know, we thought we were the big shots, and on certain at certain days and certain times, if you went into the tavern, they wouldn't bug you for ID. These this this is another era. This doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, even
1: though they knew that you weren't old enough.
0: Yeah, yeah. and it was, you know, out well, to draft, please. <laughs> <laughs> and the only thing was that you if you if they let you in, there was an understanding that you had to properly tip and if you didn't tip, your ass was out the door in a big hurry. Yeah. So I I got my first lessons about making sure the waiters were properly tipped. Drinking underage at the Phone Tavern, which I, I, I think is gone. I'm not sure uh, if it's still there at the corner of Gwen Boulevard and and uh, Brook. Um, it it might still be. Maybe it's called something else. But those were the days where if you didn't tip the waiter properly, out you went. You you're lucky you didn't get tossed out on your test. <laughs> yeah. Did
1: you learn the lesson the hard way, Ter? Did you get shown the door?
0: Uh, no, because uh, we were well. We were well schooled by other buddies who had already been through it. You know, like a draft was, I think at the time, a draft beer was 35 cents. Mm-hmm. So if you ordered two drafts, uh, you put a dollar down and you didn't ask for change. You made sure that the guys got the 30 cents. And if and if you asked for change, that's yeah. <laughs> the door you went. There
1: you go. And, uh, how old were you at the time? Like 16, 17? Yeah,
0: six, yeah we were 16, yeah. 16, born yeah. 17, I think. Yeah. And, you know, we, we thought we were big shots.
1: Oh, boy. I can specifically remember the first time I got served in a tavern. Yeah. I was 15 years old. Yeah. Yeah. And I went in, I went in with older guys.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. The Red Lantern.
0: Red Lantern? The Red in Lantern. Brunswick?
1: Yeah. And, uh, in Nashwalk, New Brunswick, across the yep. river from, uh, from Fredericton. The first time I got served in the liquor store, I was in grade nine. I was 14. Wow. And uh, a buddy of mine had his brother's St. Thomas University jacket. So mm-hmm. I put on the university jacket so I would look older and went down to the liquor store. And um, so the good news was uh, I got served. The bad news was I bought a pint of lemon gin. <laughs> 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 I don't know why. How long
0: before you were barfing?
1: <laughs> <laughs> not, not very.
0: <laughs> now, when you were that age, Ted, did you did you you know were you hi, Mister, and looked your age? Or no, no, you- no,
1: no. I yeah, no, no. I my voice had changed, and I could uh, yeah. I had enough bravado and you bullshit did. in me that I could pull it off.
0: Yeah, I, I I I I was not good at that. I couldn't pull it off. I was always like looking down at my shoes and stuff.
1: No, no, I could pull it off until they asked me for ID and then it was all that's when I started looking at the shoes. Or did yeah. the old Pat the Pocket. Oh yeah. gee whiz. And
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> ID. What are you kidding? Me?
1: <laughs> I left it in my other house. It's
0: <laughs> there there were places it's funny because this was back in the mid nineteen seventies, and there were places you knew, like if you went to you know, you could go to the Pierre Font tavern. Uh, but you couldn't go to the manoir because the manoir always asked you for ID and you'd you'd get booted out. Um, and there were beer stores uh, along Way Boulevard where you know one owner would look the other way, but another owner would throw you out on your ass.
1: Are you talking so, about depaners?
0: Yeah, they yeah. were they uh, back then they weren't called depaners. They you know, before the language law, they were just you know uh, the magazin au coin or the yeah. the, 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 the beer store you know they my my parents would often refer to it as the beer store so you know run down to uh, chez morris there and pick up pick up some beer
1: so the, um, so depanneur as a designation for a convenience store only came along with uh, the language laws
0: yeah it was oh, one I didn't of know those that. yeah it was one of those invented words it came around the same time that they tried to make a hamburger a bourgeois yeah. when they were all keen on on uh, on on making sure that everything had a a French designation. That's where Depanneur started because when I was a kid, it was Hubert's, you know, or Perret's, or you know, the Chez Morris, uh, you know, or any of those other places. They all had, they all had, the, you know, they were all run by local families, and and uh, they were just, you know, they were the corner store.
1: I'm glad you brought up Hubert's because I, I want you to tell the story. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not really a story. It just it happened every time you went to Hubert's, right? Yeah. Yeah tell, yeah, tell us about Hubert. I love this.
0: Yeah, it was our, our first – it was my first international experience, <laughs> as it was. <laughs> um, it, it, Hubert was uh, – when I moved to the West Island, we moved to the West Island of Montreal back in 1965. My parents, uh, we left Verdun, and we moved to the West Island. And my, when I've – I've told this story so many times. If you've heard it before, I'm sorry – When my parents um, uh, picked, you know, I was in grade two at St. Thomas More in Verdun, and my father excitedly brought me and my sister out to see the new house, and as we were driving down Sources Road, Sources Road, when we moved out, was a gravel road. If you're familiar with Sources Road, imagine that being a gravel road, and the only thing on the side of that road was, uh, I think, a gas station, and the rest of it was farms. And um, when we moved to the West Island, there was only one place to get anything at the top of uh, a street. You know, we lived on Granger Street and at the corner of Langevin and Gouin Boulevard, there was a delicatessen there. The building is still there. And it was run by a guy named Hubert. And Hubert was German, Austrian. I'm not sure what it was. But he he spoke German. He spoke yeah. mostly German. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and the, the, the folks in the community that were German, they all shopped there. The people that were, you know, there were Dutch people. There were, you know, it was mostly, there was a lot of Europeans back then that that had moved to the West Island. And often you would go in and, and Hubert would be speaking German. And he spoke with a very thick German accent. And he spoke you know, German is loud, yeah. you know, for the most part, it's uh, uh, it's just, it's kind of a sort of a, a very, I, I'm not describing this properly, but a very vocal language. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's just a sort of very- It can loud. be harsh. Harsh. Yeah. Harsh is, is the word. Yeah. And um, we used to, you know, he, he was never crazy about having kids hang around the store, <laughs> so- You know, he would yell at us sometimes, you know, sometimes when he was busy, he wouldn't see us and we'd sit up on this drink cooler uh, that we had. And when he when he found out, you know, he'd he'd gaze over and see that there were two teenage boys sitting on the cooler. It was always, boy, go from the fridge. (laughs) And 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 even when he was being a gentle man, because he was a wonderful man, he was a gentle man. We loved him and he was kind to us. And he let us look at the the dirty German magazines, Der Stern, and you know those other. They you know they there was always someone with no das no tits. tits on. <laughs> we got we got a real big kick out of it. anyway. When your parents, when you're you know, my mom and dad would send me to the store to pick up cigarettes, as you could do in those days. You know, go get go get some milk and some bread from Hubert, and get me a package of matinee. And I would, you know, hand him the money and and he would put the stuff in the bag and put it in the cash and put the 20 in the cash and take the, the money out of the cash. And in front of my 12-year-old or 13-year-old puzzled face, he would count the money out on the counter and go, <laughs> I would go, What? <laughs> And he would say, a change.
1: That change. Just go. <laughs> because
0: He was so used to counting in German that he would, you know, <laughs> and I, I used to get such a kick out of it. And I, I, you know, I remember asking my parents and my parents said, well, he, you know, he's German. He's, he's counting of the change in German. Yeah. I don't know, I know if we
1: had, I don't know if we had that kind of international flavor <laughs> in, uh, in Fredericton, Um I know there was one guy, uh, Mr. Budeker, mm-hmm. and he was German, and I think he might have actually been uh, a German military veteran. I think he fought on the Russian front, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, okay. wow. yeah, a yeah. decent enough guy, just uh, yep. just another guy in the neighborhood, you know. Like he didn't put on his black uniform and goose step down the street or anything <laughs> like that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I look back, I look back on those times. Yeah, a lot of fascinating people with fascinating stories, Absolutely. and you don't realize how fascinating their stories were until they're long gone.
0: Yeah, it was unfair for us to speculate, but we did, and you know, we've since learned that there were there were prisoners of war that were held in camps in Canada, and a lot of them settled here. You know, there were a lot of a lot of uh, people that uh, that fought on that side uh, during World War II. And and ended up becoming Canadian citizens and and creating new lives here. No
1: U.S. as well.
0: Yeah, and yeah. the U.S. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah and 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 some to Argentina. <laughs> <laughs> that's a true thing. Don't write.
1: Me. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: That's that's a that's an actual thing. Um, I uh, want to take a, a moment to talk about another supporter. When I said Gwen Boulevard, I immediately thought of my friends at uh, Matla Honor. Uh, they have been a longtime supporter of uh, the radio shows that we've done over the years. And when we said we were going to do a podcast, uh, Norm and the family said, absolutely, let us, let us be part of that. And uh, I, I remember meeting uh, Norma, who is the, uh, the patriarch of the family that owns Matt honor and had lunch with him and was completely taken with him and, and just loved his passion for everything about sleep. A better night's sleep matt you know i said to him why why mattresses and he began to talk to me about how they got started with a pickup truck and delivering mattresses at night and and uh and eventually opened their very first location on ongoing boulevard in saint genevieve which is still there um and they've built this wonderful wonderful network of uh customers and a wonderful network of employees who are all really, really well-trained in the way they do things at Matt and you're going to notice it from the second you walk in a door. You're going to get an unbelievable welcome, um, and uh, they'll, you, they'll make you feel uh, calm, and they'll ask you a couple of questions. They'll steer you to certain kinds of mattresses that they think you'll like, and they'll leave you alone. They won't pressure you and follow you around. If you're looking for a mattress that uh, needs to be replaced because you've been on the old one for far too long, or, pardon me, you're just looking for a mattress uh, to replace uh, the old one in the guest room, whatever it is, or pillows or linens or anything like that. If it has to do with a good night's sleep, the people at Matla are going to take very, very good care of you. And there's a promo code, TED04 and TARE05. Um, you can just go in and, and say that, and they may ask you what you're talking about, and you can tell them that you listen to the Terry and Ted podcast, they will make sure you get a 5% discount. It's TER04 and TED05. And much to my surprise and delight, Ted, we found out that people were actually using those codes. Oh, that's
1: excellent. It's good to know that. I like the yeah. fact that Met Air has sleep technologists.
0: They do. Yeah. They do. That's the way they like to refer to them as. And so whether, you, you know, if you're looking for... You know, anything standard that you know, like a Sealy or, uh, you know, any brand name you can think of, or you you want to do something upscale like a Technogel mattress, they'll tell you all about it. They'll handle it. Just visit one of the locations all around the greater Montreal area, and you can start at matlabunner.ca.
1: I can't get to uh, sleep. Have to call the boys from ST. There you go. <laughs> Ted,
0: I'd like you to to address uh, what you did this week on the uh, radio program. In case anybody missed it, uh, you talked about this on your uh, highly successful sports editorial called Bird Droppings, which you've been doing for many years. I've often said you're one of the best writers I've ever met and ever known. I love listening to your editorial pieces. And this week, you spoke about Saku Koivu, and I thought... You know, we I thought we'll touch on that on the podcast because I really think it's a great topic and people do love to talk about the Canadians.
1: They sure do. Well, when Chris Neal, when it was announced that Chris Neal from the Ottawa Senators was going to have his jersey number retired, uh, he wore number 25 uh, and that'll be raised to the rafters at the rink in Ottawa. I thought to myself, if Chris Neal can have his jersey number retired by the Ottawa Senators, why can Saku Koivu not have his jersey number retired by the Montreal Canadiens? And that's a drum that I've been banging for years and years and years. And when I worked on the sports station here in Montreal, and I brought that up on the air one day, you would have thought that I had uh, uh, deflowered the Virgin Mary (laughs) with the reaction that I got from my co-hosts, and from the listeners. How dare you? How dare you suggest that Saku Koivu's number should be raised to the rafters alongside all of those Hall of Famers and multiple Stanley Cup winners? Uh, well, here's how I dare. Um, he He represented the CH with great dignity and poise and courage on and off the ice. He went through a battle with cancer and used that... To uh, uh, to form a a foundation, a medical foundation that to this day benefits the city. Oh, but you can't you can't retire his number just because he got sick. Well, no, it's not just that. He was the second longest serving captain in Montreal Canadiens history after Jean Beliveau, and he's the tenth leading scorer in the history of the Montreal Canadiens, ahead of some of the guys who do have their numbers. Hanging from the rafters, so you can make a pretty good case for the Canadians retiring Saku Koivu's Jersey number eleven. and I think they should. and maybe one day they will. I don't know, but I I think that it's uh, I think it's an honor totally befitting the man and that and that he wouldn't be he wouldn't besmirch the other uh, the other numbers hanging up there. And I'll bet you, those guys up there, living and dead, would all agree that Saku Koivu is worthy of having his his jersey number retired.
0: And as you pointed out, Ted, um, there is no ovation in the history of the Montreal Canadiens other than the ovation for the Rocket, the night that the we night they closed the forum. forum. Yeah. The the ovation for Saku Koivu when he returned from his treatment it's still when I see that on YouTube, it still makes me cry.
1: I think there were actually two of them. I think there was one where he came to the rink. He didn't play. He wasn't playing yet. Yeah. But he yeah. came to the rink. He was dressed in his suit, yeah. and uh, and he was introduced to the crowd. There was that, and then there was the night he came out to play his first game after winning his battle against cancer. Those were the two most powerful moments in the history of that arena, and that arena has been around for uh, for a little bit now. It's yeah. uh, it's over 25 years now that the Montreal Canadiens are about 25 years the Montreal Canadiens have been playing at the Bell Center and I have never seen anything there including jersey retirement ceremonies for multiple Hall of Famers I've never seen anything as powerful as uh, as as the ovations that Saku Koivu got that night and again you, you don't re- retire the guy's jersey number based just on that but when you add that battle and 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 how he represented the CH through that. And when you add that to everything that he accomplished as a player, and no, he never won a Stanley Cup, but it's not his fault that management was shit through his uh, entire tenure with, uh, with the Canadians. That's That's not on him. I just think, you know, who does it hurt? Who does it hurt? It's a great... You know, it's it's a well-deserved honor and it doesn't hurt anybody, so why not? I don't know if the I don't know if we're too far removed now for it to happen, if it's if the window of opportunity has been has has passed. I don't think so. Well, you know what? When I become king of the world, okay. I'm going to get Jeff Molson on the phone and uh, I'm going to <laughs> rectify that situation.
0: <laughs> you know, it's one of the things that I I've come to appreciate. You always you always uh you you don't have an appreciation for things until they're gone. I've I've been to the Rogers Arena here in Vancouver a number of times, and uh, you know I'm I'm always a, always will be a died-in-the-wool Montreal Canadiens fan, and there are tons of Habs fans out here. They're everywhere. You see Canadians ball caps everywhere and Canadian sweaters on uh, the day the the Habs are playing. You see you see them everywhere, and um, but they they're just it's
1: just something.
0: Like they love their Canucks out here, but there there's nothing like seeing a game at the Bell Center, and I miss it.
1: It's true, the Bell Center really, uh, you know, there was nothing like the old Forum. The Forum was uh, yeah. was was in a class all its own, uh, but I don't know that it that it necessarily was any better than the Bell Center. It's just different than the Bell Center. The Canadians haven't even won a Stanley Cup in that building, but it's still an electric place to watch a hockey game. And I guess that probably speaks to, uh, you know, to the, to the franchise and to the fans as well.
0: Yeah. I was going to say it's the fans, it's Montrealers that bring that electricity into the building. Yeah. I really, really, really believe that. And it's, it's one of the things that you notice uh, when you're gone. I've had this conversation with a couple of people about the particular, you know, there's a particular thing. Ex Montrealers are a giant pain in the ass (laughs) because all they talk about is, uh, is Montreal and Montreal food and Montreal this and your bagels and your smoke meat? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Shut the fuck up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we had that conversation on, a, on another episode. Who did we have that? Oh, it was, was Anthony Wilson Smith. That's right. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. And I think the conclusion we came to is that Montrealers are like that because they left reluctantly.
0: Yeah. Ex- yeah.
1: Ex- Ex-Montrealers who move elsewhere. Yeah.
0: I thought that was a, was a really great theory that he had. And, uh, that was my you know, theory, he, actually. It was he's, me. He's, it was
1: me. he's another one. It was me. It was me who came up with that theory, actually. Was you? Yeah, it, was, it, was you? it was me. <laughs> right, I'm sorry. That's okay. Not that it matters.
0: <laughs> it is a great theory. It really is. That is your theory. <clears throat>
1: yeah. Yeah. <That's> <laughs> Yes, that, sir. It's yours. That's the bird theory of ex-Montrealers.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's a great theory because it's very, very true. Because we got to talking about, you know, if you you you're in Calgary, a lot of ex-Montrealers in Calgary. A lot of ex-Montrealers, tons of ex-Montrealers in in Toronto, and uh, and and a ton of ex-Montrealers out in British Columbia. I didn't even know. I just had a. Um, a um, a Twitter uh, DM exchange with Elliot Price. you remember Elliot of Price? Of course,
1: yeah. Elliot was one of the ones who yelled at me when yeah. I was <laughs> <laughs> when I was suggesting that Saku's uh, number be retired.
0: Well, Elliot's out in British Columbia.
1: He said, we have to get together. Oh, does he live there now? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know there, that. Yeah. I thought he yeah. was in Ontario. Well, he was for a minute and a half, I guess. All and, right.
0: Uh, and now he's out this way, I think, maybe because his, his kids are out out this way, and, okay. I, and I, I, I thought to myself, "We'll get together, and we'll piss and moan about how much we miss Montreal."
1: Yeah, that's exactly what you'll do. Let me tell you about Jaguar Lander over Laval Ter, yes. and then we're going to do the tweet sheet. Okay, all right, all right. Now, as you know, I have a giant resentment against you because uh, when you come into town to uh, record the podcast, I call our sponsors and friends at Jaguar Lander over Laval and say, "Demonte's coming in." Maybe you want to give us uh, one of your vehicles I can ferry him around town in, and we can be the two highfalutin uh, uh, radio and uh, podcasters driving around town in one of your cars. And we've had the Land Rover Defender. We've had the Jaguar F-Type Sports Coupe.
0: Yeah, they've spoiled us.
1: Oh, boy. We've had the Jaguar F-Pace SUV, and we've had the Discovery Sport from Land Rover. Uh, We've driven some pretty swanky vehicles around town. Uh, But since you've uh, had to do uh, this particular round of podcasts from home, uh, I'm driving the Bavarian money pit hither and yon. <laughs> well, what are you going to do? It was a good run while it lasted. Yeah. Uh, go up to Jaguar Land Rover Laval. Uh, as a matter of fact, go up there and then keep going. Go up to Saint Sauveur. They have a terrace uh, on the hill in Saint Sauveur, the Land Rover Laval Terrace. Uh, it's like party central during the ski season, and they throw uh, they throw events there as well, and they give away prizes. Uh, I know at one point they were giving away uh, the use of a Land Rover uh, for I'm not sure what the what the period of time was, but uh, you go up to go skiing and the next thing you know you're driving home in a Land Rover, <laughs> but you have to take it back. But that's you know we yeah. had to take ours back too. But we had fun. Uh, we had fun while we had it. You can go to www.sommets.com. that's s o m m e t s dot and uh, click on uh, St. Sauveur, follow the St. Sauveur links and you'll see more about the Land Rover Laval tra- Terrace at uh, Mont St. Sauveur. Uh, looks like a great wintertime party spot. And of course, if you're in the market for uh, a luxury vehicle, don't buy anything before you go to Jaguar Land Rover Laval and see what they've got. Maybe stick your head in the McLaren showroom while you're up there. Yeah. And another uh, great dream camp. a little. Uh,
0: beautiful family run business. Uh wonderful family runs that business. And, just so you know, um, it's uh, this is an anomaly uh, of, as to why I can't travel, and we'll talk about that in our next season, about why I couldn't travel. But uh, I will be back in the studio with you, Ted, and uh, we will be back in that Land Rover or Jagberry soon. Oh, boy.
1: Jaguarlaval.ca, yeah. Land Roverlaval.ca. Let's do the tweet sheet, shall we? Yes,
0: sir. Let's do that, sir.
1: I'm always excited about the tweet sheet. Three of the funnier things I found on Twitter that I couldn't use on the radio because they were a tad salty, so I brought them to the podcast. Here's one from at, at nice mustard. Hot dogs were invented in 1936 by Larry Hot Dogs when he accidentally dropped a bag of prize-winning pig assholes into his dick shaper machine. (laughs) 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 Isn't that rude? (laughs) The dick shaper. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, Mom. (laughs) My mom watches the podcast. I don't know how big a fan she's going to (laughs) be of that one. All right. From at Tommy Tough Stuff, marketing guy, you could run through the wall, Kool-Aid man. Don't you think I'll shatter? Marketing guy, we don't pay you to think, asshole. And from at Prof Hinkley, ladies and gentlemen, this is Captain Jones, and I'll be your pilot today. And uh, damn, that's a lot of buttons. That's a lot of fucking buttons. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> Oh, it's such a great visual too. I hey? The say guy, such a great visual. The guy with the wireless <laughs> hat on sitting <laughs> in front of the console, going, "Jesus Christ!" What the hell? <laughs> Wonder what this button does.
0: Oh, oh God, that is absolutely terrific. The tweet sheet is a lot of fun, and I love the fact that uh, you bring the uh, the salty ones with you for uh, the podcast. This is very, very good. Yeah. Yes, sir. I am. I suspect that uh, it's almost time to wrap things up. Just before we go, I think you know what I was thinking before, Ted. You're, you you could have, uh, maybe you should have taken your corn tire idea to Voswin.
1: That's a great idea. There, you that's go. A, that's an excellent idea. Yeah, uh, Voswin is an engineering firm, an engineering consulting firm that sponsors the podcast, and uh, that's what they do. If you have an idea. Uh, that you want to get to market, uh, they'll help you do it if it has an engineering component. And uh, there must be some kind of en- engineering component into making corn tires, eh? Like how you, how are they gonna how are they gonna hold together for one thing? Sure.
0: There you go, they'll yeah. figure it out. How are they
1: How are they not going to uh, uh, biodegrade? There's another issue. Yeah. So uh, I'm sure that Sean really is appreciating this commercial. <laughs> 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 uh, of <Poor> course, Sean. <laughs> Sean Smith is the uh, is the owner and uh, the founder and president of of Voswin. And uh, Sean approached us and said, uh, "You know, I want to be a sponsor on your podcast." And we couldn't believe it, but uh, we said, "Okay, sure." And uh, and he told us that like he thinks that there are people out there who have ideas and uh, or who have existing products or services that have an engineering or need an engineering component, and they don't know what to do with it. That's when you go to Voswin. Voswin helps you with that, with mechanical, industrial engineering and design, electrical engineering and design, software engineering and design. Whatever you need done from an engineering standpoint, uh, they can help you with that. And they will, as Terry says, take it from, uh, from your head, and put it into your hands. Voswin likes to say, stop the spin, call Voswin. Vision to innovation. They're online at voswin.com. Sean spoke at a conference uh, recently at uh, the Palais des Congrès mm-hmm. in uh, in Montreal. And I wrote down here what he spoke about. Let me just find it here. I'll uh, tell
0: you, one of, one of the things that I, I absolutely, when we met Sean, I was completely taken with his passion for what he does. If yeah. you if you've got ideas that you need to be, you know, you you're, you need help to have these ideas brought, brought to fruition, you would love spending time with this guy. He's just so passionate yeah, about Yeah, I was going to
1: say it's not work for Sean, it's a passion. Yeah. So he spoke at the Second International Innovation 5.0 Forum. Uh, on uh, predictive maintenance for UAV and the technology they're creating, oh, you and I, you course. and I discussed that quite a bit, eh? Oh yeah, I <laughs> so get I, asked that all the time. I had to send him a note and say, "What's UAV?" Yeah, it's uh, oh, yeah. it's um, unidentified alien vehicles. No, it's yeah. drones. Yeah, yeah, well, Un- yeah so unmanned about- unmanned aerial vehicles, and that talk- is an area of expertise for Voswin drones. Sorry, Ter. You were saying all the time, the wav, you (laughs) want to have a a conversation
0: about the wav (laughs) (laughs) or is it you
1: (laughs) Uav. you
0: (laughs) Sean must love these.
1: (laughs) Well, you know what? Uh, people say the people have told him, Hey, I heard you, I had the Terry and Ted talking about you (laughs) on their podcast. What the hell's going on there?
0: Maybe that's we we could uh, maybe start a Terry and TED Talk instead of just a TED Talk. It could be a Terry and TED Talk. I
1: think that's a great idea. I also think that's what we've been doing for the last hour or so, isn't it? Is that right? Yeah. Have we been droning we've, we've on? We've been, been droning on for an hour.
0: Oh my god! Hard Nobody's to believe, isn't get it? To the end of this goddamn. Sure, they season. are. Are you kidding? <laughs> you know, I was. Uh, I've been listening to podcasts and and trying to you know steal ideas. Mm-hmm. And I've been spending a lot of time listening to, um, uh, it's called Smartless with uh, Jason Bateman, uh, uh, Jason Bateman, uh, Will Arnett, and uh, Sean Hayes from Will and Grace fame, and uh, their podcast was uh, purchased for eighty million dollars. Is
1: that right, eh? Yeah, yeah.
0: it was. So maybe Stand- that call's coming any time now, t- uh, Ted. Standing by. You know who else uh, has a, a good podcast? I want to give a plug to Knuckles Nyland, Chris. Yes. Nyland. Yeah. Nick, uh, Nick, 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 knock, knock. Is I
1: would the, love yeah. to have heard Chris Nylon's take on that fight yep. that Arbor Jackeye from the Canadians had where he ragdolled Zach Cassian
0: yeah.
1: uh, in a game earlier this year. And as of the time of this recording, Jackeye hasn't been in another fight because nobody wants any part of him. Yeah, And that's the reason that guys like Suzuki and uh, Cole Caulfield get as yep. much open ice as they do. Because other teams know, they fuck around, yeah. uh, they're going to find out from Jack Eye. Oh,
0: yeah. By the way, uh, all you got to do is Google Chris Nyland Podcast, and it'll come up. I don't, I don't know what the, the, uh, what the platform is or anything else. And w- one more thing before we go, on the hockey note, I was telling you that I listened to this podcast, Smartless, uh, the eighty million one one with Jason Bateman. This You're not going to believe this, but they had Wayne Gretzky on. And it was really, really interesting because they were, they, you know, when actors are interviewing a hockey player, they come up with different angles. And they asked, Gretzky told some stories that I'd never heard before. So I just want to mention to you, if you're a hockey fan, um, look for the, uh, the podcast called Smartless with Wayne Gretzky as the guest. I think you'd get a kick out of it. Not that Jason Bateman and those guys need our help. (laughs) No, (laughs) I'm, you know, like dear Terry, thanks
1: for the plug. Your pal, (laughs) Jason,
0: we don't, they don't need a plug from us, but if you're listening to us, we really appreciate you uh, spending time with us with this podcast. We really love the fact that you share it. You tell your friends about it. We love the fact that you come to our Facebook page. There is a standing by Facebook page And I thought I would pass along another podcast suggestion for you if you're a podcast lover like I am now, because even here in Vancouver, where the radio market should be very competitive, it's a lot of shite. Yeah, I believe it. So I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts.
1: All right, sir. Well, this was fun. Let's do another one one of these days, shall we?
0: We'll we'll do another. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Goodbye. Standing by, the Terry and Ted podcast has been brought to you by the UPS Store Canada. The UPS Store near you is locally owned and operated by a member of your small business community.